Um, good evening, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch. I've been hosting a series of webinars and having uh, a lot of guests on that have just been providing tremendous information. It's been such a pleasure to have all these great people on my show. And tonight we have Dr. Joyce Harmon back. Dr. Harmon is a holistic veterinarian and a dear friend. We've known each other for 30, 30 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I thought, given that it was springtime, uh, having a conversation about laminitis might be a really good idea. So I've asked uh, Joyce to talk to us about laminitis, and some people have put in the chat that they're that they have a horse with laminitis, Joyce. So I just asked them, you know, if if they have a horse with laminitis, to just tell us about that. Um, and um, we'll just get going, and then we'll take questions, and and it'll be awesome. So. That sounds great. This is certainly a, a very uh, seasonal, I guess we could say, uh, topic because right now, at least on the East Coast in Virginia, we are growing grass like crazy. Yeah. Um, it is cool, it's rainy on a daily or every other day basis, and that's what grass loves. Then we get a little bit of sunshine and we got a whole bunch of sugars in the grass. So, so tell us a bit about, you know, what, what is sort of the metabolic underlying cause of, of laminitis? Like some horses are definitely more prone to it than others. And, and is there a type of horse aside? Cause some horses can handle the grass, right? So what are some of the differences? Yeah, and they're, they're, there actually does seem to be a, a genetic component to it. Um, the, the grasses, horses were made to actually eat forage, forbs, plants, not pure monoculture, one type of grass. So it, they evolved with a very, very efficient digestive system. Because if you think about the places in the world where horses are wild, then there's really not a lot to eat. Think about going out west in the, in the kind of mountain and desert country where the Mustangs were. Think about places like um, in, in, say, England, where you have the Moors, and it, it kind of might look a bit green, but if you actually walk out amongst them, they're either full of bracken fern or heather, and there's not actually a lot of what we would call green grass. You look at some of the, um, the desert areas, you look at some of the areas where we have native horses, some of the islands that are, say, off of the coast of the United States, off of the East Coast, there's not a lot to eat there. And so this efficient digestive tract evolved to, um, to basically live off of almost nothing. And we call these horses air ferns now because it seems like they don't need to eat anything and they continue to gain weight. So that's that one feeling. aspect of it. <laughs> Believe me, there's a reason that I've been researching this all my life. <laughs> um, one piece of chocolate cake and I'm, I'm toast. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hole in my belt or a hole in my girth. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, um, 
So we have the genetic component, and then we have this very efficient grass that we have grown that is designed to fatten cattle as fast as possible. And cows are also very efficient. They can turn newspaper into um, carbohydrates and, and digest it. But the purpose of raising cattle is to have them grow, you know, 2.5, 2.8, 3.0, 4 pounds per day. Per day? In order to get them ready. Per day, two and a half to four something pounds per day, eating this grass that we have now planted for our horses. Do we need our horses to grow, to gain three or four pounds a day? No. <laughs> Multiply that by two weeks of so 14 days times two weeks, and all of a sudden we have um, an enormously fat horse. So... We do like to see green pastures, as you can see out behind Wendy. That looks very desirable to us as, as human beings. And back in the old days, before we really came up with all of these hybrid grasses, you could look out over a green field and it would actually be full of all different kinds of plants. And a lot of those plants are actually herbs. And a lot of those plants, even many of the herbal plants, are, are very nutritious, but they have a better balance of sugars to carbohydrates to proteins, and so they are healthier. Also, in the places where horses are wild, they have to walk, A, between each bite, and B, if they want water, they might have to walk two or three miles just to get down to the stream. And then they walk two or three miles back up the hill to get to where the, the current grazing patch is. Our horses stand <laughs> and in a 10 foot square area, they are basically standing in a Hershey's chocolate factory. And it's probably even better quality than a Hershey's chocolate factory. So they're eating constantly without having to move, without having to exercise, putting this highly um, sugary, highly energetic food into a very efficient digestive system. So we end up with horses who are very efficient and they turn those carbohydrates into fat very rapidly. Genetically, there definitely are horses that can tolerate enormous amounts of grass, and you'll see them out grazing in a field where the grass is a foot high, and um, they will be, they're fine. You know, they're nice weight. They may or may not be being exercised or ridden daily, but they do, they do just fine. And there actually have been a couple of studies done where we have um, ponies that are in the same herd, but some of that herd is susceptible to laminitis and the other part of that herd, slightly different genetics, actually are okay with the grass. Hmm. On top of all of that, we add in the, um, all of the estrogenic and um, uh, hormonally based products that are in our water. So our herbicides, 
our pesticides, all of those actually have molecules that kind of mimic some of the hormones. So they're in our water, they're in our food, or the food that we're feeding the horses. And that actually will have an effect on the horse's hormonal system. So, so this is kind of getting a little scary, Joyce, in that it, we have a genetic component, we have a grass component, and we have a hormone component. How are we ever going to get a handle on this? Uh, that's, that's a really good question. And, and actually, there really are many things that we can do for our horses. And one of them certainly is don't turn them out on the paddock pasture right behind Wendy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the, there are a lot of things that we can do metabolically to actually alter their metabolism so that they can handle more carbohydrates. And as, as the insulin resistant research has been happening in the human field, because the same parallel is happening with people. And some of those same hormonal issues are part of the trigger in the human world. The amount of chemicals, the amount of toxins that we have in our diet and our environment, those are the, the things that are helping to trigger the human issues. So from a lot of the human research, we can actually take that and use the same nutritional supplements, same kinds of herbal supplements to enhance our horse's metabolism and actually help them lose weight, help them maintain some level of grazing. There certainly are horses that actually can't handle any grass at all and they will get laminitic from the tiniest amount of sugar. But most of our horses can get back to eating a certain number of hours a day. And they get benefit from exercise. How this whole picture? Uh, what was that? How much does exercise play into this whole picture? Like, you know, not every, right now, especially with the pandemic, there are some people that actually can't get to their horses to ride them. Uh, yes, and, and that is, it's a huge issue because if you look at the research, the A number one way to treat insulin resistance in humans and also in horses is exercise. So above all the other things that we can do, exercise is number one. So with the pandemic, we can't necessarily get out to our horses to exercise. And we don't have, even if we are riding, a lot of times we don't have the incentive to really get ready for a competition or really get ready for a clinic. We're just kind of enjoying ourselves. So our exercise level goes down. The other thing that happens is if your horse gets laid up because it cuts its leg, you have the same issue because you suddenly have much less exercise and you'll often get a laminitic episode after that. So exercise really is one of the key, if, there, if you were to think like a three-legged stool, exercise is one of the primary legs of that stool that's really going to make a difference. Absolutely. And, and exercise can be done at the level the horse can handle it. So if you have a horse that's got a chronic laminitic case, exercise may be just walking down the driveway and back. 
and that's the beginning of the healing process. A horse that has sound and fit and just 50 pounds or 100 pounds overweight, you need to really get out and do some exercise and you need some hills, you need, you need to actually challenge that horse. You can't just wander around and call that exercise. So, so we'd actually have to get the heart rate up a little bit. Yes, yes, absolutely. Is there kind of like an ideal heart rate when we're looking at like, is it, are we looking at aerobic exercise or anaerobic exercise? We're looking at aerobic exercise. So longer term, longer term, lower heart rates. I mean, if you could get the exercise, the heart rate up to even 120 and keep it there for 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, we'll be much better off than 15 minutes trying to get the heart rate up to 150 and then stopping. Right. And there's a lot of Long good equipment now to help us be able to monitor heart rate. There's, um, I've used a number of different pieces of equipment. Um, there's Hilo Fit, there's Acoustic, and different things now because sometimes we need the biofeedback to see what that heart rate is. Um, so there is technology that we can use to help us get there. Yes, and it's, it can be quite illuminating when you use your heart rate monitors of some sort because you go, ah, I just worked for 25 minutes in the ring, walked and trotted and cantered, and guess what? The heart rate didn't go over 85. Right. Um, or yeah. you've just been lunging for 20 minutes and your heart rate isn't much over 65. <laughs> yeah, and, so in which case, in truth, you have really done very little. Yeah. Um, horses are pretty efficient that way too, aren't they? Yes. And if horses do have some turnout, they have a base level of fitness that you have to you have to do more than what they're doing out in the field. Yeah, I'm laughing because um, Lily's in the background yowling. So if you hear this cat, that sounds like she's a distress. She's just talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she wants more food. <laughs> yes, absolutely. She's getting louder. <laughs> okay, so we got we've got exercise, and we got to get the heart rate up to a 120 for about half an hour is that what you said as a goal not that would certainly be it that would be certainly a good goal to begin with yes but what about the so the other component is the genetics and there's not a lot we can do about the genetics once we've bought our horse or found our horse or give, been given our horse or fallen in love with our horse but the genetics are they're a big component to this picture aren't they and yes, so the, the key with the genetics is, one, you have to accept what you have, and two, if your horse is not having any problems currently, but they are genetically predisposed, and the way that you can tell about some, some of the genetic predisposition is by the breed, our pony types, our Morgans, our um, heavier, sort of more cold-blooded, if you will, types of breeds are going to be more prone to it. Most of the ponies are, ponies are made to live on nothing. Right. Um, donkeys, minis, all of those guys, if you own one, you can assume that they are most likely insulin resistant. And if they turn out not to be and they can eat plenty of grass, pat yourself on the back and be happy. 
but otherwise assume and start to be proactive and do the exercise thing or use some of the supplements that we can talk about before you get into trouble. Don't wait. Right. Be proactive again. <laughs> and then the third yes. piece basically is our pasture management. And, and we're, not, we're not always in control of that. Some people who board horses either have restricted turnout or they're turned out in a herd or they're in a small paddock and the owners don't really have control over it. But if you did have control over your pasture environment, what, what would you be looking for there? So your ideal pasture is going to be looking pretty rough by, pat, what, by sort of what we think of as pasture standards. So you should have plenty of different plants in there, not just grass. We call them weeds. If you want, you can have your county extension agent or a local herbalist come out and show you what plants you have in the field. And you will find, you can find a tremendous number of herbs and very healthy plants in a two acre paddock, much less a large field. Um, so we want something that, go ahead. Well, I just remember healthy weeds way back when, but healthy weeds disappeared. Healthy weeds was a seed mix you could get for your pastures. Do you remember that? Um, yes, and, and what we've actually done is we've brought back Sow Your Seeds from Stacy Small's um, original mix from way back 20 years ago, and that you can actually get on my website. And oh, cool, so you brought it back. We brought it back. Stacy passed on in, about a year ago, and she and I worked on this for the last couple of years because when she really envisioned this 20 years ago, she was way ahead of the curve. People yeah. weren't that interested. Now people are recognizing that we need some diversity. And so with the sow your seeds, you can go out and plant. You don't replant your whole pasture. You just put in patches that have healthy weeds in them. Oh, and okay. the weeds that are in the seed mix are durable enough to be in a pasture because there's certainly lots of plants that the first few times the horses walk on them, they'll be dead. So these are quite durable and you just plant patches so and the horses will eat field them. and re replant it. No, 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 no. You go out and you plant four foot, six foot square little patches in a few different places and then let them come up. Don't put them in a high traffic area put them in a low traffic area and then let the horses pick at them. And some of them they'll eat when the plants are young. Some of them they'll wait and they'll eat the flower heads or they'll wait and they'll eat the seed heads. And they seem to know and it gives them some diversity. So that's diversity is, is a good thing in a pasture. All right. One thing that you can do especially when you don't have a lot of ability, particularly to change fencing on rented property or even on your own property where you don't necessarily want to put in a whole bunch of tiny paddocks, the best thing to do is to get some electric fencing. Electric fencing can be very temporary. You Horses are very respectful of it, except for a few like Wendy's old horse who used to do uh, 
hula hoop or shimmying underneath the electric wire. Um, he got very good at that. So you do have a few of those kind, but most horses are very respectful of it. And you can move that around and you can confine your horses when the spring grass is really growing. And then as the grass dies back in the summertime or in the winter, you just move your electric fence pieces. And they're, it's really a simple system to control the amount of grass that your horses get and yet keep them outside so that they are being horses instead of being stuck in a tiny little paddock. Right. Okay, so we've got the three legs of exercise, genetics, and pasture management. Um, but one of the questions, and somebody just asked this, and it's a great question because I hear these terms all the time and I get them all mixed up and I get them confused. What's the difference between IR, uh, um, Cushing's, uh, EMS, PPID? What, there's all these words. And, you know, like people come up to me and go, my horse is PPSM, QLPRZ, and I'm like, ah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is an excellent question. And fortunately, the terminology is actually becoming more accurate. So IR is insulin resistance. And what that basically means is that the cells are resistant to allowing insulin in. So the way to, the way to understand that is that the, you eat something, whether it's grass or whether it's a, a, an apple, and your body, you chew it up, it goes into your stomach, then it goes into your small intestine. And in the small intestine, it's gonna get broken down and the sugars are going to be released. So almost everything you put into your mouth or your horse's mouth is going to be broken down into the component sugars, fats, and proteins. So the candy bar goes straight in because it's already sugar. There's no digestion time involved. And some of our sweet spring grass is just about like that. It's, it's very sugary and they don't need much digestion. But a bowl of um, oatmeal that you have to cook for an hour before you can eat, it has so much fiber in there that the sugar will get released, but it's released very slowly rather than like instant oatmeal where the sugar gets released very fast. So um, the sugar goes out through the small intestine into the bloodstream and it gets picked up by insulin. Insulin's primary job, only job, is to grab that glucose molecule, that sugar molecule, carry it to the muscle cell, knock on the door, and deposit it inside the muscle cell. The muscle cell then is gonna burn it for fuel. The insulin is going back out and it's getting another molecule of glucose. So if you have insulin resistance, the insulin comes up to the cell, knocks on the door and can't get in. So it's got this glucose molecule it's got to go do something with. So in a simplified way, it's going to go deposit it somewhere, usually on your horse's crest or on their butt and or around your waist. 
And it has to get rid of it. It has to do something to it. It can't just float around with a thing of glucose, but it can't get into the cell. Now, the muscle cell is sitting there saying, I'm starving, feed me. But remember, the glucose couldn't get in to feed it. So the muscle cell sends a signal to the horse's brain, and the horse's brain says, great, I will eat. And so you get these horses that are ravenous. They really truly are hungry because they're getting all these signals from the muscle cell saying, I'm starving. And yet they don't have any real energy. Their muscles often feel hard to the touch and they tend to put on a lot of weight. And that's kind of a simplified version of what, what insulin resistance is. But it really gives you a picture of what's going on metabolically inside the body. This is probably one of the best descriptions I've ever heard. So basically you've got a little shuttle bus. It loads up with glucose. It goes to the, to the, you know, the station to drop it off and the doors are closed. <laughs> so it has to find yes, somewhere exactly. else to offload it because it can't hang yep. on to it. And so it just finds the dump. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, so then you have this horse that you, you, you know, they gobble down hay. They, they are chewing on the wood. They are truly starving. Conventionally, what people, a lot of the veterinarians will say, well, just starve them. But you haven't actually solved the problem and you have created a huge amount of stress in that horse because his brain is being told, I am starving. Well, and, and so his muscles the horse really are, right? And the muscles really exactly. are because they're not getting food. Right. And so you'll find these horses, you try to ride them a lot of times, and they really don't have much energy. So here we were talking about how important exercise is, and you get on your horse, and they're like, do we have to? You know, they don't, they, they're not having fun riding because it's so much effort because the muscles have no fuel. Right. So that's your insulin resistant type of picture. And what happens is the insulin resistance and the, 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 wrong, the sugar that's being deposited in the wrong place and the fats that are being created, you have a whole inflammatory cascade that gets way more complicated than we're going to get into here but you start to create body inflammation and they have finally realized that in humans heart disease is actually inflammatory and they used to say it wasn't but heart disease is the human's version of laminitis or laminitis is the horse's version of heart disease they don't, horses just don't get much in the way of heart disease, but they do get the cardiovascular insult to their feet, to the, to the blood vessels and the lamina in the feet, and they get the inflammation down there. So as your horse's fat starts to get hard to palpate, like you palpate their crest, you just go up along their crest, and that should feel nice and soft and squishy. You should be able to squish it with your fingers and it should feel smooth. 
So you start feeling something that feels hard against your fingers and starts to have a lumpy kind of cellulite feel, you've got heat and inflammation starting in that body. And beyond that, the next step is going to be a laminitic episode. So you start to see the crest getting hard. You start to see the fat pads around the tail. You start to collect water down the midline after a rain. And you start to feel this muscle and fat getting hard. You're getting in trouble. If you have one of these horses who is genetically not predisposed to it, that seems to be able to put on weight, but their insulin system is still working, that fat, they can be very fat, but the fat will be soft in texture, soft over their butt, soft um, over their crest. They're just eating too much. They're heavy, but they don't have this lumpiness and hardness. So then what's the difference between insulin resistance and Cushing's? Okay, so insulin resistance, we've kind of put to bed. You understand what that is. The shuttle bus that can't unload its, its glucose yep. has to take it yep. to the dump. Yep. Yep. So now I'm going to back up for a second, and we're going to look at the hormonal system of the horse. So the way, the analogy that I use is at birth, we have a beautiful crystal ball or a nice round ball. And on that ball are your various hormonal organs. So we have the pituitary gland, which is the grandmother sitting at the top. We have the thyroid, which has a lot to do with metabolism. We have the pancreas, which has everything to do with insulin. We have the adrenals, which have to do with stress. We have the ovaries and the testicles, which do their thing. And we have uh, actually many, many, many more tiny hormones and things like that that are part of this. But those are the major ones. So at birth in a healthy animal, that's a beautiful, round, balanced Everything is interacting with everything else, and it's, it's getting the right amount. It has that balance to it. So life comes along, and now we've got a lump in it. And so maybe the adrenals have taken a bit of stress. You know, you've been competing, you moved to a couple of barns, the horse got sold a couple of times. And they got overfed a whole bunch of sweet feed and their insulin thing is now a little lumpy. And so now suddenly we have this lump that's not in balance. And there are, there are divots and deficiencies and there are lumps that are kind of excesses. Okay. So that's, that's, in charge of your hormonal system with the pituitary grandmother at the top. So if we've messed up our pancreas with too much rich food, that's gonna go down the insulin resistant pathway. If we come to the another side of the coin and we mess around with the adrenals and the stress, we're going to come up on what has been called Cushing's. 
Cushing's is a bad word. Drop it out, throw it in the trash can. Because Cushing's as a disease in horses and humans, I mean in dogs and humans, is a very specific pattern that's very easy to diagnose. And it's really not related to what we have here in the horse world. What we, the more correct term is PPID, which stands for posterior pituitary, I'll look it up. Okay. I always, I always get my words mixed up, okay? All right, but pituitary is um, in there. PPID, <laughs> it's, the, it's the pituitary gland, okay? okay? And it is dysfunctional. So we have a pituitary gland sitting up here that is not being an effective grandmother. And as we age, that is a normal happening. Grandma gets old. Grandma can't really look after everybody. There's too much going on. And so that some of that balance starts to get out of balance. So our Cushing's really is our PPID. It is a dysfunction of the pars intermedia, actually. The PI oh. is pars intermedia, pituitary. Okay. Um, and so what we are starting to lack is that grandmotherly control over our adrenals, over our really our whole hormonal system. So you can have a horse that has one, say the PPID, the, the, which is gonna show up with your adrenals, or you can have the pancreas and the insulin that's creating a problem, or you can have a bit of both when, when things are really out of balance. You can have all of that. And you can have some thyroid deficiencies, but we have a tendency to treat the PPID and the thyroid deficiencies at the same in Western medicine. And most of the time, it's really a metabolic dysfunction rather than a thyroid dysfunction. Hmm. Um, the EMS term is equine metabolic syndrome, which got a little bit of press um, a while ago. But of course, it takes about 10 years to get a term into the horse world and about 15 years to get it out. So EMS and IR are the same thing. Oh, okay. basically. They are subdividing and as they as they get into the biochemical intricacies of it, they will make little different definitions. You really don't have to worry about all of that because if we're going to approach it nutritionally and exercise wise, we're looking at insulin resistance versus PPID as our those are our two main things that we need to bring back into balance. Okay, so, when it's, so if you were having your ACTH measured, are you on the uh, IR, looking at the IR situation or the PPID situation with the ACTH? Okay, so, so on, the, on the blood work, if, you are, if your horse is insulin resistant, you will tend to see higher levels of insulin because remember the insulin is floating around in the blood and it can't get into the muscle cell. So we'll see the higher levels of insulin. In the, the PPID side, we're actually going to see usually higher levels of ACTH because it's not being controlled properly by the pituitary. 
And so those levels for... can rise. Adrenocorticostimulating hormone. So okay. basically, oh, yeah. so you think of it. Yep. PPID side. Yeah. Yep. And so that's higher cortisol. And we've kind of stopped measuring cortisol and, and find that we can measure the ACTH more easily and more accurately. But what's happening, so what happens in stress is, we all know what stress is these days as we sit inside our house, not being able to ride our horse. <laughs> um, so as the stress levels go up, your cortisol levels go up, your ACTH is stimulating your cortisol levels to go up. Cor high levels of cortisol inside your body actually suppress the immune system. So a lot of these horses will actually have immune issues. We'll see abscesses, we'll see sinus infections, we'll see that they don't heal wounds well because we've got too much cortisol floating around in the blood. And that is why with stress, we tend to get sick, right? whether it's taking our horse on the trailer to Florida for the winter, they get sick on the other end of the trailer ride, or whether it's us getting into an airplane, um, we end up sick or just working way too hard. Um, competing too much, you start to get those high levels of, chronically high levels of your cortisol. And so horses that have competed a lot Many times, they're going to be more of the PPID later in life, but some of those will also become insulin resistant because they have been exercised hard for the first maybe 10 years of their life, and then they get into their teens and maybe they're sold to somebody else, or you're no longer interested in competing. So now it's just a pleasure ride three times a week, and suddenly that horse that, that looked like you could feed him doesn't need the extra food. So you start to see some of the insulin resistance because you start to get, you start to, you're feeding him more than he needs. And so the insulin part of that sphere starts to be affected. So we just want to clarify a couple points. Some people have asked a question. Um, when you have IR, the, the muscle gets hard? The, the texture of the muscle? Yes. Yes, that can definitely happen. And it can happen in the PPID horses as well because you have this, think of it as inflammatory fat is probably a, a good way to just think about it in your brain to simplify it. And the fat gets hard too. Because it's The fat all is actually hard, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, and so somebody was wondering, um, it, they thought that PPID meant that there was a tumor on the pituitary. Yes. And yeah, that's a, I'm glad you asked that question because there still is a lot of people who think you have a tumor on the pituitary. If you go back in the literature, a tumor certainly can occur on the pituitary. And if there is a tumor, especially in the 25 and 30 year old horses, they don't tend to respond very well to the treatments that we would be doing for the PPI, regular PPID horses. The majority of horses though, when they look at them, they do not have a tumor. They have what they call hyperplasia 
which is a term that means that the cells are basically, they're unhappy. They're not behaving as a normal cell, but they're not a tumor cell. And they are not functioning as a proper pituitary cell because the proper pituitary cell is, is the strong grandma that's going to be in control. These are the weak grandma that's spending time sitting on the couch and maybe even in a nursing home. So not somebody's overseeing asked, the family. Yeah. Uh, somebody's asked if there's a genetic test. I'm not sure um, whether they're a genetic test predisposing to PPID or IR. I think that I'm... Um, there, some of the researchers are looking at that because they, they have access to some of these groups of horses and ponies. So far, there is not, outside of the research setting, any genetic test. But truthfully, even if your blood work does not show insulin resistance, if your horse is the proverbial air fern that is not um, able to lose weight easily with just a, a regular light exercise program and basically healthy eating, then they probably are insulin resistant. And we know from human research that insulin resistance is present in many people at the cellular level, probably years before it shows up in the blood. And I see that in horses all the time. You can look at a horse and you know what their management is and they are not losing weight. They're insulin resistant. Right. So the, the blood work is way slower to tell you what's going on than just your eyes and your hands. Yes. An eyeball and a weight tape in your hands and your girth. Oh, a weight tape. Yeah. I, you had me weight taping, Al, because I, yeah, <laughs> I have to find that weight tape. See, the spring's here. <laughs> And uh, keep an eye yes. on it. Yep. Um, somebody asked if there's what particular weeds herbs are good in the field. Are there particular herbs that are better than others, especially in helping with IR and PPID? Um, there, a lot depends on your on on your local environment, and there are certainly herbs that you can grow, and there are herbal products. And you can look at what's in some of the herbal products and you can absolutely plant some of those. Um, some of the simple ones that actually will grow well and, and stand up to traffic are some things like fenugreek. Um, but you, you can look at your local environment. In the sow your seeds, it's a group of herbs that's not particularly directed at IR. They're just herbs that will be beneficial to the immune system, to the general health of the horse, but not just specifically to the IR horse. And I'm, it would be hard to put to plant everything you need for an IR horse and have them eat enough of that to actually control their insulin resistance, the same way you could with an herbal product that you can put in their food every day. Yeah. You know, when I was trekking in New Zealand way back in the 90s, um, uh, we were with Huranui Horse Treks, and this guy, he was afraid of horses. He used to do sky, um, um, diving and everything, but he decided he wanted to do horses, and so he walked these couple of horses up into the mountains, and that's how he got used to them, but he was such a smart guy because he would watch the plants that the horses ate during the trek, 
and then he would go and collect the seeds from the plants that he saw the horses eat and then he put those seeds in his pasture you know so i think yes. it's actually we're so averse to letting our horses graze when we're riding them but maybe we need to take them for a walk on a halter and watch what plants they pick and then go after that plant and find out what that plant is get some seeds from that plant and put that in our fields because that's our local environment yes and horses are some of the best herbalists on the planet they know what they need they know when to harvest the herb for their benefit and if you just watch horses eating dirt to eat the root of a dandelion in the spring they know that that root is very important to them and, yeah, and um, somebody was saying, and i've seen this my my old horse used to eat the thistles but he would just pick the flowers off the top of the thistle and never touch the spines he was really good yeah yeah um yeah somebody's saying they have a 33 year old horse that they treat for ppid and have two of her colts 14 and 18 and they're both ir so is that our genetic component there yes absolutely and the, the thing to do is to is to work with the 14 and 18 year olds now either with some supplementation and i've got some supplements on the website um, ob and inr ob meaning for the chunky guys and the inr for the ones that are actually a little bit more a little farther down the path maybe have some laminitis it's got some extra detox herbs in it and some higher levels of things like magnesium and uh um magnesium and chromium and vanadium and all kinds of stuff like that so um you can definitely start young and hopefully prevent that from becoming a major issue so there's a good question here and and we've often seen this that um temperature swings and either ir or laminitis you know, so how, how does temperature, how does our environment play in, in terms of weather change? So the environment plays in in a couple of different ways, actually. One is that it affects the way the grass is growing. So if you have a bunch of rain and then a nice sunny day in the springtime, what you're going to see is that grass that that got all the moisture for the previous two days now you have sunshine it the grass is now growing like crazy and putting sugar into it and throughout the year you have that same sort of fluctuation in the forage and what we know from if if you there's i think there's still a lot of resources up on a website called safergrass.org and well i remember that they have called, safe, so i'll just yeah, take they, grass. okay they've got they've got lots of data and uh also the the links to their to the equi-analytical testing grass testing website um and you can look at that and really kind of study the different grasses and the different analyses of them. But you can take a grass field that you're gonna make hay from and cut hay from it every year, say in May, and based on your weather conditions and cloud cover on the days around harvest, you can have high sugar in your hay one year 
and low sugar in your hay another year. Same pasture, same grasses, same forage. So and really so people will say, oh, well. Well, I was gonna say, we're really looking at temperature and rainfall in terms of the sugar Temperature, level. rainfall, sunshine, cloud cover. Right, so all really of the, the grass above that we're growing as opposed to the as opposed to the temperature affecting the horse, the temperature is affecting the grass, which the horse is then ingesting, which now is either a really high or a lower sugar content. That's two thirds of the picture. Yes. Okay. We're affecting the grasses. But then if we look at it from a Chinese medicine aspect, the weather changes actually do have an effect on metabolism and on general health. So in the spring and fall, we tend to have a lot of temperature fluctuations and those temperature fluctuations have a tendency to affect what we call the spleen acupuncture meridian, the spleen and stomach meridian, and it can also affect the liver meridian. So the spleen and stomach meridian have a lot to do with digestion. And the spleen and stomach meridians actually are very susceptible to things like cold and damp. And we know that from some of our colicky horses, but that can also play a little bit of a role in the susceptibility to something like laminitis. Because if we have um, upset, that horse's balance, the weather itself can be a trigger. And it can be a trigger in the winter time as well. Okay, so that could explain why we sometimes see laminitis in the winter. Like, okay, so your horse, it was December 31st, because I went back and looked at the pictures, and it was December 31st that she was laminitic, and we're putting her on pads. Yes. And so as, as the horses age, so in their 20s, the kidney meridian gets involved. So the kidney meridian, I look at the different meridians like you have access, like they have a Chinese job and a Western job. So the Chinese job of the kidney is actually to take care of the bones, the lower back, the hips. That's why everybody that's my age is having their hips replaced because their kidney meridians are getting old. Oh. And so the kidney meridian, remember kidneys and adrenals? Right. The adrenals are associated with the kidneys. And so the kidney meridian, when that gets weakened as they age, you're going to see your winter laminitis because that's the season in which that meridian is already low and the weather affects it directly. So just as it affects your joints in the winter, it's affecting your adrenals and your, your, your kidney meridian aspect. All right, so we've got another question that's saying, is there a connection between white line and laminitis? So can we treat the meridian seasonally as a preventative? Um, that's a good question. And yes, if the more, in, in China, you go, even if you're healthy, you go to your acupuncturist four or five times a year, just as the seasons change, just to get tuned up. And you can pay attention to your seasonal changes, have your acupuncturist come out, 
You can also do things like keep an eye on your horse's tongue. And if their tongue colors changes, you may not know what it means. But from a Chinese perspective, that tongue, tongue color changing from what it normally is to something different is an indication that they're having a little bit of an imbalance in their body. And you can get proactive if you've got an acupuncturist around or an herbalist that can help you. All right. So, so the connection between white line, oh, yeah. white line and white line and laminitis is once the lamina has been damaged with laminitis, you will very often have a thicker white line. And so the white line is not as healthy. The white line is, is the connection between the hoof wall and the coffin bone. And so the connection usually is that the white line has become damaged from the laminitis. But just because you have some white line disease doesn't mean you're going to get laminitis. Well, and this is where, um, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Bob Bowker's talks that we were doing. Um, and he was talking about, you know, how important it is to keep the toe short when dealing with laminitic horses or any horse actually, um, but particularly in Absolutely. laminitis, how important it is to keep those toes short. Absolutely. And with the, um, when you've got the laminitis, you need, there are so many things that you can do to treat a laminitic horse other than just starving it and giving it anti-inflammatories. And between supplementation, between herbal treatment, between acupuncture and the Surefoot pads yeah. um, have definitely made a huge difference. My horse stood on them one night for an hour oh. and a half. I would not move <laughs> off of them. All right, shall I show some of those pictures? So we can talk yes. about them. I'll do a little screen share here. So it was, it was December, it was the middle of the winter, right? And um, I'm not sure if this is the, this is not the first picture. I'm not sure where my first ones are because in the beginning, she wasn't gonna stand on, on four pads. So this is probably the second or third session at this point. Um, but why don't you tell them a little bit about yeah. what we did? Um, it's, it started out, and this is this life happens to all of us, and uh, I was not paying a whole lot of attention. Um, I was dealing with my mother who was not well. And uh, so my horse was standing there with her head in the uh, round bale, eating constantly. And she looks it in those pictures. And... Uh, so um, this probably, I don't know, two weeks into it, when we really started to say, you know, I've got a problem here. Um, and she was tender footed. She was not absolutely rocked back. And I was giving her some homeopathics and I put her on some of the Chinese herbs. And uh, Wendy brought over the, the uh, wedge pads and I think the first night she stood for a little while and then she wanted to get off. And she definitely preferred one foot. And I honestly can't remember which one at this point, but I think that last picture that showed her one foot off um, 
her preferred foot to be on it was the left. And I think she tended to take the right one off a little bit more frequently. In the beginning, she was actually- so the first night, she was right some- Because um, yeah. you only had a pair of firm slants and you started with just the pair and her right front was really painful. So she'd kind of do a diagonal and then I brought over a second set so that we could do all four feet because she really liked the slants. Yes. So on, it was either day two or day three, uh, she stood on these for literally an hour and a half. And you can see Big Al with the white blaze back there. Wendy led him in and out of the stall. And you can see how close my horse is to the wall. He had to walk right past her. She did not move her feet one bit she was planted there. So she did that for the first night. So the next night I thought, well, I'm gonna bring my computer down because if I'm gonna sit here for an hour and a half, I might as well get some work done. <laughs> and uh, I thought I'd keep her company. And uh, uh, that night she probably stood on for half an hour, maybe 40 minutes. And then the third night, she, 10 minutes maybe, and she just walked right off of them. She had really no interest in it at all. And <laughs> it was very clear when she wanted to be on it. And one night she took her foot off of the slant and you can see the edge of the rubber mat. She put one foot on the edge of the rubber mat and left it there. And these were probably 10, 10, 15 minute sessions. And she kept the other foot on the slant. And she did that very clearly and very purposefully. Yeah, I, th I know I took other pictures um, from the early session where she did that with her right front foot. Um, I can't find them right now, but it's okay. Um, but yeah, it was, they're there. Yeah, they're there. And the thing, you know, so often um, we, let me just uh, stop the screen share. Um, you know, it's like Joyce was really, her mom had needed a lot of attention. And it's usually when, that's when these, the tipping point happens when, you know, they're a little bit out of a balance, they are a little bit overweight, and then something traumatic happens or drama happens and it just tips the scale. Um, I had a really dear friends in Washington state and I went out there and they were irrigating their pastures and I looked at their horses and I went, these are laminated horses with accidents waiting to happen. And then their business burned down and the horses all wound up laminitic because they were so stressed, their business burned down. And I think other things happened and they lost one horse and they were able to, one horse was saved and one horse wasn't too bad. But you know, when it's just, sometimes it's just that tiny little last straw that tips you over because it's just yep. sitting there waiting. Um, and that's, and that's where with the, the inability to exercise that we have to be doubly paying attention because we're, we have changed what our routine is and we're not really thinking about that. That's where the weight tape is your friend because they can gain 20, 30, 40 pounds before you really see it. Yeah. And they can sometimes do that in a few weeks once the spring grass comes out. So if you have a weight tape, most time you can get it free at your feed store, then 
you'll see, oh, 20 pounds this week, oops. And you know you have to do something long before you have the problem. And so Joyce, we're, we're actually pretty much at the end of our time, but I did want to touch on a base on a couple other things. I know that you use a variety of different herbs and supplements because right now your horse and my horse are on some things, but that really is, kind of, <laughs> I know it's like the two of them. Um, um, it's, it depends on what the underlying, whether it's the IR or the PPID, that depending on how you prescribe which herbs they go on, right? Absolutely. And certainly horses that, horses that have a simple case of IR or are just having trouble losing weight, the formula that I put together called OB formula, most horses within three weeks to four weeks will have softened up their crest, lost some weight, and, and are starting to look pretty good. They can usually start to increase their grass and you can add their, you can add a muzzle to your picture and let them graze for a little longer. Since I always forget what you can do on a computer, Wendy said, <laughs> told me to bring the muzzle up that I've got that's a little bit, it's, it's way more humane for the horses. It's nice and open and um, most, my horse doesn't love it, but part of the reason that I have learned a lot about insulin resistance and went to the trouble of making the muzzle is because I have a fat horse, Connemara cross. So you've got the, the genetic side of it there. And I put a traditional muzzle on her and she basically wouldn't talk to me. She turned her rear end to me and all I got was a tail and a very pissed off horse. So I had to do something different, and that's the, the muzzle is the evolution of that. Um, so for a simple, simple horses that haven't gone down the laminitis pathway, something like OB formula or INR, if they're a little bit more fat, will very often be all you need to do. Um, some horses, if they don't like that, you can try some... Uh, some of the Hilton herb metabolite or insulite and that may be all you need it's the horses that get complicated the horses that have gotten the laminitis the horses where you have difficulty restricting their grazing because of your boarding situation um, those are the horses that need more specific prescribing and I keep a section on the website just for for laminitis, and so there's a lot of variety of products, and there's also um, some articles on there about that and about grazing and grasses I've got on the uh, YouTube channel. There's some webinars, and so you can begin to tailor what you need a little bit for yourself. Then if you need more help, then I do telephone consults for that. Um, I'm just going to screen share. I took a little video. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wrong button. Um, of your horse this evening. Let's see. Oh, yep. Um, so, so that there in the back, I don't know. Can you see the picture that we had looked at before on my screen? It's, uh, hang on a second. Mm, no, we just see um, one on. picture. Okay. I'll just, I'll just. This is what she looked like in December. 
Um, obviously, it's wintertime. It had been raining, um, you know, so her, her, but you can see that her coat looks kind of funky. And then I will stop that share and start this share. So tonight, I just went out and, um, where'd it go? There it is. Took a little video of Joyce's horse, who's now, um, we, I've been, uh, actually after Bob's lecture, I decided that I wanted to figure out a little bit about some of the trim he was talking about in terms of, oops, working with these horses. And so um, Joyce has been kind enough to let me experiment with her horse. And um, so I've been, I only need one. Okay, hang on, I gotta get it back again. Doo, doo, doo. There, because I had to close a bunch of things. So, um, so I've been trimming her feet according to what Bob's talking about. And let's see if I can get the video to play. It's kind of stuck behind the, there we go. And working with the surefoot pads with her because I'm home and I can. Um, play, play video. Not play. Oh, that's because I grabbed the wrong thing again. Um, stop share. I'll grab it. Screen share. Sometimes with Zoom, you've got to figure out what the heck you're, um, I can't find it. But I've been messing with the surefoot pads and I had her on four pads tonight and I uh, changed around with some uh, firm pads and some slants behind. And it was really fascinating actually, oh, here it is, um, that she would just, was happy to stay there for quite a while. And then um, was very interesting to watch how her head placement, which changed quite a bit in terms of where she organized her head. So here she had her head organized over her right front. And her right front foot, Joyce, if you remember, was the more painful foot. That's the one she was pointing forward yeah. and didn't want to put weight on. Um, and so, I mean, she's supposed to be walking out to the paddock to go get more hay, but she was very happy to stop here in the aisle and just hang on the pads. Obviously, the other two guys are inside, but she was very content. And you can see that she still got her head organized over her right front, but I'll just move this forward because it's a three minute video. And one of the things that you can see, you can see how she's changing her head position around and now she's hanging with her head over her left front, which was really quite interesting um, that she was willing to experiment with organizing that. Um, just one of the little things I wanted to show on this video that I, I realized I haven't shown people in the past is that you can actually see the jugular blood flow when the horse is standing on the pads. And somewhere in here, I zoomed it in. There we go. And you'll actually, right here, you'll be able to see, see the pulse right there. And you can actually count that. So, you know, if you're ever having difficulty taking your horse's pulse, just stick them on surefoot pads and it gets a whole lot easier. Um, but she's, she's walking out of the field much better now. She wears her muzzle, right, Joyce? <laughs> when, with, with the grass. Whenever she gets much grass, yes. Yep. And um, just has become a lot more comfortable. But, you know, this is a... Um, one of those things where it's not just one thing to solve the problem. It's been, um, Joyce has her on quite a number of different supplements. I've been working with her feet. Um, now we're managing her grass. The grass is coming in, but right now there's not a very much because the pasture is a poor pasture, which is great for our horses. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and so Joyce, it's, uh, I think if you wanted to kind of wrap up, what can people do, you know, to, 
what's the single thing that they have control over to help keep their horses healthy? The, the biggest thing is to, is to look at what you're feeding. And that's, that's the one thing that you really exercise. Of course, you can control as much as you are capable of. Feeding and supplementation is the thing that you have the most sort of direct control over. And the key is to supplement with products that are going to help get insulin into the cells and are going to basically increase the metabolism a little bit. You don't need to rev it up with 50 milligrams of thyroid. That's like drinking too much coffee every morning. Yes, they will lose weight, but is that the healthiest way <laughs> in the world to lose weight? No, because at some point you got to come down off of that thyroid. <laughs> um, and then if, if you, or coffee, yes. <laughs> and so if you, if you try to do that, then they're going to be worse off in the long run because you've messed with their thyroid. So supplementation and exercise are really the biggest things that you have under your control. And uh, if you turn them out on too much grass, no supplement in the world is going to do the job. So that's where you're grazing muscle or you're limited grazing. So we're kind of back to those three points again. We can We've got our supplements, we've got our exercise, and we've got our pasture management. Yep. Can't get away from them. Um, what does OB, uh, I don't know, what does OB formula work? I'm not sure I understand the question. O, OB formula is, um, is designed, it's, it's a flax and hemp based product for your omega-3s, which help with insulin resistance. It's got Magnesium, it's got chromium, which are well-known. Vanadium is much less well-known, but I find some horses need that rather than chromium. Um, and it's got some of the other um, ingredients that have been researched in human insulin resistance. Yeah. And um, I think horse... how, old, how old is my horse? She's like 24, if I can Oh, she's 24. Okay, I guess 21, but let's see. Um, I got Andy and... In '99, so he would. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. Her pint of Guinness for turning 21 was a few years ago. Yeah. Okay. So, so she's getting. I didn't realize she was that old, but you know, like, I I don't want to think <laughs> about how old Al is either. So, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> or myself, actually. I don't feel that old, so I'm not that old. <laughs> Um, well, this has been fabulous, Joyce, and as always, very enlightening. And also, I, I think one of the things I enjoy most when I'm talking to you is you can make these concepts that sometimes seem so um, hard to grasp to make them easy. I, I'm not going to forget the little bus with the glucose going to the stop and, <laughs> and then having to take it to the dump because now that that makes sense to me. And also the, the Cushing's, which was one I could never wrap my brain around, but having an endocrine background, um, I have a master's in equine reproductive physiology, the, the pituitary and the PPID, now I can, I can wrestle those two apart and actually understand when I'm talking to people. So um, thank you everybody right. so much for joining us. As always, Joyce has been a fabulous guest. 
Um, I will be running a little muzzle madness on Monday. So stay tuned for that. We're gonna do a little special with um, Harmony Muzzles and Surefoot Pads. Um, but right now, this week, what we're doing is we're giving away three half physio pads to three different equine nonprofits, whether that's a equine rescue, a rehab, or a therapeutic riding center or a retirement center. If you have a favorite nonprofit equine uh, group, please go to the Facebook page on Surefoot Equine on Facebook and nominate your people. We're going to have the drawing on Thursday, which is tomorrow, tomorrow night. We'll, I'll, and I'll announce the winners on Friday on my Surefoot webinar at one o'clock. So, you know, here's a chance for your favorite equine um, nonprofit to have a little gift. It's for Giving Tuesday. We're giving back to our community. Um, thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you, Joyce. It's been fabulous and for letting me play around with your horse because it's been an education for me <laughs> for sure. And, um, and it's just- Great. That's, it's fun, fun as always. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for right, having take, me on. Take care, everybody. Have a good night and thank you again. And thanks, Joyce. Take care. Bye. Thanks.